Good morning. I appreciate all of those who, uh, all of you who managed to get here on this rainy Sunday morning that is also sleep depriving with daylight savings time uh, springing forward. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about tools um, to a certain extent. So really briefly, um, this is for the kids, adults, don't, don't help. Um, kids, what am I holding in my hands? A shovel? You sure it's a shovel? Okay, good, you're right. Now, have you ever tried to hammer a nail with a shovel? No? Really? It's probably a good idea, it's not very easy. Have you tried to paint a fence or a wall with a shovel? No? No? Have you ever maybe tried to, to put on any glue with a shovel? No? No? There, okay. You guys really don't, what, what do you do with a shovel? You dig holes, right? You dig holes with a shovel. Okay, so you guys have a very limited view of what you can do with a shovel. Um, and that's okay, because the truth is, we create tools to do specific things that we need. And this morning, um, we're going to be talking about the office of deacon. And the value, the gift that God has given us in the, the office of deacons. And they are there. They're not the same as elders like we talked about last week. They're not the same as other roles that, that are within the church. Um, and the reason why they're not is because they serve specific functions. And that's okay. God gave us, in a sense, tools in the people that are part of our church to accomplish what he wants to do with this church and with the church, with the church as a whole. So God has been very gracious in gifting us these people who are called deacons. They serve specific roles, and they are very valuable. They don't do everything, but they do specific things, and what they do is very useful. Because just like you wouldn't want to try and hammer a nail with a shovel, you would not want elders and deacons to get mixed up. You need them individually. They are valuable individually for the roles that they provide. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. You're going to be in chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So... Paul has already talked about the qualifications for one who is going to be an overseer or an elder in, at the start of chapter 3, and then he picks up in verse 8 and says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, nor greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. That <clears throat> then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? 
Lord, we are grateful for the chance to dig into your word um, and be, be amazed again at how kind you are in not just asking us to follow you, but in giving us such grace as you do it. As we step out in faith, you give us grace upon grace. And one of the things that you have given us is this office of deacons, these wonderful servants who so kindly help to, to bear our burdens, um, to bind up our wounds, um, and to do the things that otherwise might be overlooked. We're grateful for them. We pray that this morning you would help us to be grateful for them, to, to remember to pray for them and encourage them, to ask them when we have needs to reach out to them, to use them for the purposes that you have given. We ask, Lord, that this will ultimately strengthen our body as a whole, that our local church will go stronger and therefore be able to carry out the work that you have called us to do, namely this the spread of the gospel and the building up of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So one of the biggest things that I think the church, we, we can all agree, the church can struggle with is that people fall through the cracks, right? That, that people who are there, the needs of the church or the needs of the people who are a part of the church or who visit the church, um, and even just the people themselves, can slip through unnoticed. Um, and as a result, resentments build up, hurt feelings occur, um, people may leave. There's a host of things that can happen. And so this morning as we talk about deacons, um, we want to spend time thinking and, and looking into just how valuable it is that God has given us this role within the church. So last week... Um, we talked about the, the, the role of elders and the value that they have. Um, and one of the things that we talked about is how this is actually wraparound for us. In one sense, this closes out the portion of our teaching on the vision of the church, the going portion. And it also sort of wraps over into the start of our, our gathering portion uh, of the vision for Remedy Church. And the reason why is, is very simple, because on the one hand, it is part of the, the gathering of our church together. Deacons are an, an integral part of that, but they also function as, a, as an aid to the going part of that. Because again, if we are reaching out with the gospel in our community and abroad, we desperately need the office of deacons. We desperately need their function for the health of the church so that things don't get dropped through the cracks, so that we don't lose track of our missionaries as, as they're overseas, um, making sure that their needs are covered. They help with that. As people come in and, uh, and either come to faith or join our body, the more people that we have, the more needs that we're gonna, that are going to have, that are going to crop up. Let's face it, life as people is messy. And the more of us we gather together, and the more of us that we are touching on a regular basis, there will be naturally more occurrences of um, problems, of physical, practical needs, things like that, that, w that are, are vitally needing the office of deacons. Um, and we don't want to lose anybody. We don't want to lose anyone to being overlooked. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But so this morning, I, wanna, I want to uh, 
um, point out that we are, we are grateful for the gift of deacons first because we are served by what they do in the body of Christ. If you flip over to Acts chapter 6, we'll see sort of the first instance where deacons are used. In fact, um, though it is not explicitly used, the term deacon, this is essentially their inauguration. Because in Acts chapter 6, we find, now those now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, for those of you who don't know, Hellenists are essentially, they're, they're Jews who, who were either converted or ethnic Jews who were part of those scattered around, so they were predominantly Greek-speaking or Hellenistic-speaking um, Jews. But they were, they were Greek-speaking, uh, Greek-culturally, and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, those who were more culturally Jewish, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the distribution of, of food or money for, those, for what it was needed by the poor. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now this is interesting because we, we see that as the church is growing in number, th good things are happening, but problems are arising because as the church grows bigger, um, more, and more, is, more and more is at risk of falling through the cracks. And so somehow, whether it was actually... Um, a, an argument, um, you, you can make an argument that the Hellenists are correct, that, that the poor among their number are being overlooked. Or maybe they're not, and it just felt like they were being overlooked. And then if they are being overlooked, then you can even talk more about the why. Were there, actu were there actual problems? Was there actual... Um, was there an actual issue of looking down on those versus the Jewish widows? We don't know. There's a lot that the text doesn't say. But we can tell that this would be a problem if it continued, right? You can imagine just from those potential questions all the ways unity could be broken within the church in its infant stages. And so at this time, God speaks through the, through the apostles, uh, through essentially at that time the elders that existed within the church, and, in, and encourages them, I'm convinced through the Holy Spirit, gave them the idea to raise up this group of men as servants, as what would later be called deacons or diakonos, which is essentially the Greek word to serve. That's where it comes from. So, he raises up this group, of, this group of people 
who will meet the physical needs to help make sure that nobody gets left out, to help make sure that the practical details uh, of the church are covered. And by that, then, vitally important, it, it knocks down the potential for rumors to start spreading, for, hurt, for feelings to be hurt, and people to start feeling like they don't matter as much to the church as some other people who are different than them. And you can see where the unity of the church could have just been destroyed in that early stage. And yet God, in his mercy, provides deacons who take care of that. And as a result, instead, you follow that up. What happens is their work is effective. Not only is it effective, but they begin serving more and more and more people. We continue to see faith growing. And even later, as persecution starts, the deacons then become a massive witnessing tool, specifically in Stephen. We see when Stephen, who is not, maybe not the head of that group, but he's certainly the first named in that list, is eventually called to account for what's going on and gives an impassioned defense. He's eventually one of the first martyrs, if not the first martyr after Jesus. So the deacons provide a vital aid to us in their activities. And we should be grateful for what they do. Um, and out of that, one of the things that I want to remind us is, is their purpose here is to help with practical needs. And thank God for that because there's going to be needs that you have that I don't see. I mean, if the simplest case in point is a few weeks ago, um, a really easy illustration of that. Mason Weeks, one of our deacons, touched base with the elders who are part of the gathering team, who, who do oversee sort of the corporate gathering and things related to that, and said, hey, we have a problem with our sign out front. Um, now, my wife can tell you that looking at things like paint jobs, um, small, small issues where something might be broken or loose or whatever. I am not good at that at all. Mason pointed out the paint job is cracking around the edges of the sign and it's, the sign itself is starting to deteriorate. We need to do something about it or else it's going to start to look really bad really soon. I didn't have a clue. I hadn't noticed it at all. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But Somebody who is in that role, specifically focused on those type of things, is able to see needs as they arise um, before any of us would have caught it, maybe even before some of you in the audience would have caught it, and before it can become potentially a much bigger issue. As a result, then he sees that, jumps on it, asks us questions, um, suggests a way to handle it that we could say, yes, run with it, and now if you notice, we have that nice, beautiful border that has been added to the sign, uh, to the trim, and it makes it stand out. It looks even, in my opinion, better than it did. Um, and something wonderful has happened. If any of you have ever had a need within the church, you also know the value of uh, if, if you've had a financial need where you've had some sort of hardship come, come up and you needed to ask for help. It is a wonderful thing to know immediately who I can go to instead of just wandering around and especially in many times 
you might feel ashamed as you continually have to ex explain to people that you're going through this difficult situation. But to have one person that you can Im immediately know I can go to and ask for help and get it is a beautiful gift. But it is vitally important that not only they serve us with their activities, but that they serve us with their characters so that their activities are actually useful. That's where we get into the heart of the text that we just read uh, from 1 Timothy. So I want to briefly spend some time going through that. So if you flip back to 1 Timothy, talk about the things that God has commanded that a deacon must be. First of all, we see that they need to be dignified. Dignified is another way of saying serious people, um, that they're not going to take inappropriate things lightly, that they're not, uh, they're not going to take... Um, the word of God lightly, then instead they're, they're going to think about things in a responsible and respectful manner, um, which, again, is hugely important. Do you really want somebody who you go and ask for help finding jokes about it um, or taking it seriously? Which do you think you probably want if you're in need? Um, not only that, we see that we don't want them they are not to be double-tongued. The Greek, that is the language of deceit. That is, they do not speak in two different ways. You could take that a few different ways. You could talk about outright lies that they will say. On, on the one hand, we want them to be people of their words so that if I say I will do this, then they do it. Another way is that you don't want them going and talking to you in a certain way about a certain thing and going and talking to somebody else about the same thing but in a different way, having a different answer. Um, we want them to be, we want to know that the people we entrust in this role are those who, whatever they say, we, we know that they're going to follow up on it, that they're going to be truthful about it, that they're not giving a spin. Um, that is hugely important to have trust in what they're going to do. Not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, those two things speak to self-control. Um, but on the one hand, you have personal self-control of, I, I manage my life, the things that I do in my habits um, are not given, given over to my passion. So they're, they're not heavy drinkers to make sure that they have the, the self-control and responsibility to do what needs to be done. But I think it's interesting. It, it mentions not greedy for dishonest gain or for, for personal gain in a dishonest way. Now, we can all think of scandals that have arisen in churches from uh, misuse of money. If you, paid, if you pay any attention to church news uh, on a national level, you see what looks like gross abuses um, or outright embezzlement. And that is one side of it. We certainly want deacons who are going to be trustworthy in the sense that they are not going to, to misuse money for their own personal gain. But I think it also points out the fact that if they are willing to, to be greedy for money in their personal life, then bringing them into leadership office within the church means that they're going to treat that those resources as though they are their own. And there is going to be greed involved in how they use that. 
Why does that matter? Well, because what we want is for the resources that God has, has given us to be used to benefit people in the kingdom, right? That's why God gave us the resources to begin with. It is going to, it is going to be used to be benefiting the kingdom as a whole. And if the people who are in leadership who control a lot of the financial things in service to us, if their focus is on how to use resources to hold on to them to benefit just this little area, then we're going to miss opportunities that God has given. We're going to miss things that God has intended for us to use our financial resources for. So we want them to be people whose first aim is not to hold on to wealth for themselves or even for our local, our local assembly, but for people who are willing and ready and eager to use the kingdom resources that God has given us to benefit the work that he's doing locally, regionally, and internationally. Furthermore, we see they, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, you want somebody who, who has been in the faith for a while, who has held on to their faith as they've worked through any concerns, questions, doubts. They have already tested and seen that, yes, the Lord is good. Yes, the gospel is true. Yes, I fully believe it. So that when hard times come, they are not rocked by that because in this role, especially as, as we grow, as we are able to, to reach more people, a deacon is going to regularly be coming into people, uh, coming into contact with people who are in the midst of hardship. You don't want their faith to be shakable because if it is, they're going to be shaken. And then you have people who you depend on, you have leaders who you depend on, who are struggling, possibly even walking away from the faith. You want them to be um, people who you know you can trust, who you know are rock solid in their confidence in Jesus Christ, so that then they're a beacon of hope in the midst of those trials. It says, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So these are people who we know that when we put forth candidates for deacons, one of the things that we do is look at people who've been around. We've had them in our body long enough to look at their lives, to see them, to see them live and recognize, yes, this is a person of character. This is a person who walks with God. And we want them to be absolutely confident. We want to be absolutely confident that I can put this forward with no reservation and say, yes, they would be a good servant for this church. Um, now we get into a slightly tricky moment because it does. We get into the question of we, we have female deacons, right? And when I read the text, it said it did not mention female deacons explicitly. It referred to deacons' wives. But there's a reason for that. And I'm, I'm going to go over it very briefly, but I also want to encourage you. There's a, there's a book that we have uh, that we give to our deacon candidates. It's done by, um, by Nine Marks. It's just called Deacons. It's, by a guy it's written by a guy named Smethurst. Um, so it should be fairly easy to remember. S-M-E-T-H-U-R-S-T. Um, 
We have a limited supply out on the shelves. So if you want to dig into more about deacons and especially this question of female deacons or not, I encourage you to grab one of those. If we are out, then I would say just ask, ask one of the elders and we'll make sure that we can get you a copy. Um, but within the Greek, the word being used here for, that is interpreted wives can also be interpreted women. It's, it's used interchangeably in the Greek language. It is the word um, ganakas, which, I mean, if, if you are familiar at all with women's medicine, that makes sense, right? Gynecology. Um, so it is the word for women. It is also used to denote wives. And the question has often arisen, which is it intended to use here? There's a couple of things that have driven us to where we are confident that what the scripture is teaching is that men or women can be deacons. This is where it is different than the office of elders. One of the reasons why is actually because of this. If, if this were referencing just wives and not women, it gives instructions on what a, de what a deacon's wife is to be, how she is to live her life. But if this was, in fact, if this is, in fact, intending to say only deacons' wives and that, and that women cannot be deacons, then it leaves us with a question. Why is there no instruction about what elders' wives should be? There's no mention of elders' wives um, earlier in the text. It only gives the qualifications for an elder themselves. Um, furthermore, the fact that it is sandwiched in this way, um, the, the text says, their wives. But in Greek, there is no possessive. There is no, there is no there there, so to speak. Um, it's, it's inflected by those who translated the text. Instead, it would say, wives or women likewise. And what that, what that does for us is if you turn that to just saying women, generically, it makes sense then just from a reading standpoint. It says this is what deacons should be, and it's talking, it, it gives reference um, to women, it gives reference to deacons, then it gives reference to women, then it gives reference to men. There is a logical progression in saying deacons as a whole female deacons, male deacons. Um, so if, if you read it as women, it seems to logically make more sense. Additionally, we also have record from church history. It seems like very early, we have, we have some very early records. So late first century, early second century. So that means before 100 AD to slightly after 100 AD that there were deaconesses, there were female deacons within the early church. It seems unlikely unless they were just out and out rebellious, and they, these seem like at least fairly healthy churches. Um, it seems unlikely that they would hear the message and just go, nah, not going to do that. They, they knew, they would have known exactly in context what Paul meant, and yet it still seems like the church in that day agreed that female deacons 
deacons were regular. Again, we also have mention of this one time. It's not extensive, but we have mention of it one time within the New Testament in the case of a woman named Phoebe. She is, she is accounted as one who renders service or one who is a deacon to the church. The argument for that has been, you know, on the one side, is just saying, no, she's not a deacon. Instead, she's just one who serves. But the other side of that says, no, she is, in fact, she's not just serving. She is serving in the office of a deacon. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that where Phoebe is mentioned. Um, when, it re when it references her service, it uses a masculine form, which doesn't make sense if you, which doesn't seem to make sense if you are talking about Phoebe serving because the form of the word should reflect her gender. However, if you are talking about the office of deacon, the office of deacon it uses the masculine form. So if it, is, if it is rendered using the masculine form of the Greek word, it makes sense that, that there is an office being spoken of rather than just her personal service. The other, th the other reason why we believe that that's the case is because it specifically talks about her service to the church, and it, it references that. That is not typical when it is talking about service as in general ministry service within the body as a whole. It doesn't talk about to the church. Instead, it just talks about serving, an individual serving. So for those reasons, we believe that what is being called out here is that, that both men and women can be deacons. That's what we have in this church. If you have questions, feel free to ask them. Again, you can use the book by Smethurst, um, and if you are interested, we can happily get you a copy. Um, so within that, carry on, the wives also must be dignified, as we said, not slanderers, so not not speaking gossip, not speaking slander about other people, sober-minded, faithful to all things. So mirroring a lot of what has already been said and then adding to it. And then we have, let them each be the husband of one wife. So, and, and literally what it says is, let them be one woman man, is, is what it says structurally. So, what that means, what that tells us is, get, let them be people who are character, characterist, uh, characterized, I'm losing my tongue, um, characterized by fidelity. So if you are single, then you are not engaging in inappropriate activity with, an, with a member of the act, uh, opposite sex. And if you are married, then you are not engaging in inappropriate out, activity with a member of the opposite sex. Instead, that you are faithful to God's plan for marital fidelity. Again, that they are managing their own their their children and households well, so that they are responsible in their home. And then the last thing that we see is that those who serve are going to gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's not a qualification. But it is important because some of you in this room are already deacons. Some of you in this room 
may have the opportunity and may be called to serve as deacons in the future. And so for you, the written, for all those of you who, who this applies to, this is not just about the qualifications, but the promise of what it is to be a deacon. That you gain something from God, both in confidence in Christ as you see him working in the body, working through you, and also that you gain a reward directly from him. We are served by their activities. We are served by their character. Finally, and, and not unimportantly, I want to make sure that we reference the fact that God has given us deacons so that we can be served by their example. Because the things that they do are unique as an office, but they are not unique as the things that we are supposed to do for each other within the body of Christ. We are supposed to care for one another. We are supposed to bear each other's burdens. And so when Paul writes to bear one another's burdens, that is a universal statement for the body as a whole. Deacons may have a specific role within that. But I think what, what's in view is if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, that we have, we have a description of roles within the church. Talks about, he references, um, he references a psalm in talking about how Christ ascended, led host, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Um, it says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also ascended into the lower regions, the earth. He who ascended is the one who also ascended. And he gave... <clears throat> And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the working of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we have this picture of Christ as the head of the body, his church, and that within that he has given roles Yes, I know, I am realizing much more I need bifocals. Um, but uh, he's given these roles within the church that are necessary and vital. Some of them are offices. But, but the office also spurs, spurs us on to mirror their example in the way they care for us, in the way they serve us, in the way they meet needs and encourage us so that we can each use the gifts that God has given us. Whether it's for, for a role in an office or whether it is for just a role in a team, whether that is music, kids, hospitality, there's a host of different things, community groups. But we can and should mirror the type of service that the deacons render to us in our own lives. 
And in that, it is a gift that we have these people who we can look up to and pattern our own service after. So as we close, I'm going to ask one that we, that we spend some time praying for those who are our deacons, but also that, that you would think about them regularly, pray for them often, that as you have needs, you go and seek them out. Um, and at other times, that you watch them. Watch them to see if there are other people who you can serve as well, or if there are ways that you can pattern your own life after theirs. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Thank you for those who serve as our deacons in Remedy. Thank you for the fact that they have given their time and their effort to meet our needs, both in the property, in financial matters of hardship, um, in aiding those who are um, sick or in short-term need. There, there's a host of ways that they serve us. We're grateful. Lord, we, we pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that as they serve us, that you would remind them that ultimately they are serving you. We pray that you would help them to find you and enjoy you richly in their own time in the Word, that you would speak to them through your Word, through their times of prayer and meditation. pray that you would give them insight into your heart as they serve us on an individual and daily basis, need by need. We pray, Lord, that they will help us to grow up so that we are mirroring you more and more and more, and so that we are more able, more equipped to reach out with your gospel, uh, with the hope that is in Christ Jesus, the one who died for our sins and then didn't stay dead. He raised again, now is seated at the right hand of your throne. Lord, we are, we are grateful for them. We pray that you would build them up and help us to be not a burden, but an aid to them as they do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.